Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. This is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And where are we today? We are in a spectacularly beautiful campground in Banff National Park in Alberta, Canada. Take a look on our website and you'll see a picture. No matter what window I look out of, it is beautiful and I feel so happy to be here. This is a really nice campground as part of the... Canadian National Park System. Not particularly cheap. But no, and unlike the United States, the Canadian National Parks are actually quite expensive to stay in. We had to buy, um, a, in our case, an annual pass because we were going to be here enough days to justify that, or you pay a daily fee. And, and even um, the geezer rate was expensive. Yeah, and the campground itself, we are here with just 30 amps of electricity and nothing else on this site, and it was fairly expensive. Yeah, it was like $40. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful and a very nice, well-run campground. Yes, uh, we have enjoyed our trip out here. And for those of you who are just tuning in, we are on the way to Alaska. This is the RV Navigator on the way to Alaska. Oh, we need a special theme, don't we? It's not very Alaskan. Well, it's Ponderosa. What's the Iditarod song? Wish, wish. And one thing, of course, that we are worried about as we have come so far north is when are we going to lose Ooh. our contact with you all? Oh, it's close. Uh, it's close. Believe me. will the satellite dish totally conk out and we will no longer have Internet and we will no longer have TV? Uh, when we were in Alaska last in 1989, we didn't have any of those things and somehow we survived. But now we are feeling... That's, that's really an interesting change that's happened. We're in withdrawal. Yeah, you 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 come become so addicted to the data that coming across either through the digital TV or through your phone or through your computer that you suddenly feel like you're in withdrawal when it's not there anymore. Even, so we go to great lengths to make sure that it is there. And even though <laughs> Big bucks. I'm a geezer who started traveling when all you had was paper. Yeah. And I Did still we miss it? bring a fair amount of paper with me. Um, the other day we were trying to decide on a campground and it was like, oh my God, we can't get on the campground review website and make sure that we're making the right choice. And <laughs> does the campground book have all the possible campgrounds in it? We have to be on the internet. And um, at that moment, when we I was were even not connected, and it was very frustrating. I was even kind of in favor of getting rid of the big, thick campground book. But for this trip, I think we'll be glad. Uh, we have the obviously, paper that, we that have. was kind of a shocking experience. <laughs> we're looking for the next campground, and we don't know where we're going or how to get there, and what are the GPS coordinates, and we don't know. And, and another thing I still bring, even though Ken thinks it's medieval, is um, the AAA guidebooks. Um, we've been members of AAA since we were born, and um, with the membership services, you get paper maps and you get guidebooks. And I still like them. I still use them. Uh, the other day, my GPS failed me, and it was so comforting to have a map on my lap. And the AAA books also have a rating system, because sometimes when you're on the road and you're 
you're not real familiar with an area, everything that you get a brochure about sounds wonderful, and you have a hard time sorting out what's worth seeing and what's not. And the, the AAA rating system, um, now they put diamonds by things that they say mm-hmm. are worth seeing, um, helps me to make decisions about, about how ones. best to spend our time. So I still appreciate that paper, and it may be the only information that we'll have as we go along on this trip. And a, we have the guidepost, too. But as I think we've talked about before, the guidepost is the hard cold facts and then stuff that's in there. People have paid mm-hmm. for ads. So it's not totally objective and probably not all that inclusive either. So don't don't send us an email and tell us to have the guidepost because we do. So in the last week and a half since we left home, we have been driving, 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 driving. Yeah, well, we spent four days here, but we spent six days on the road uh, coming to this point. (laughs) It's it's actually pretty amazing. I just checked, and we have traveled almost exactly 2,000 miles from Chicago to Banff, and we traveled uh, north across Wisconsin, and then Minnesota, North Dakota, and Montana. Yeah, when it was hot, hot, hot when we left home, and... It got cooler, cooler, cooler as we drove. And, of course, depending on where you are in the country, when you start a trip like this, there are many places to cross over into Canada. And certainly our routing decision was made by the fact that we have learned the hard way that yes. buying petroleum products in Canada is <laughs> Absolutely. vastly more expensive than it is in the U.S., no matter how expensive your area happens to be and our chicago area often is among the most expensive but still the first time we went to alaska uh we headed straight north into manitoba and were shocked by the price of gas because we didn't have the internet and we didn't know exactly and now we know that uh, the canadian fuel prices start at 440 a gallon and go up from there as we found out the other day uh whether it's diesel or whether it's uh, standard gasoline and of course we're seeing and at home we're seeing the prices of fuel go down but Canadian prices are always substantially higher, even with a little bit of a differential in terms of Canadian dollar versus U.S. dollar. And another issue to always consider as you're doing routing on a trip like this is where are you going to make the border crossing? I still have vivid memories of that trip in the 90s when we crossed on a Sunday morning between North Dakota and Manitoba, and I had the distinct impression that no one had crossed there in the last two weeks, that these two um, officials were so glad to have something to do, and they went over us with a fine-tooth comb and made us pay a lot of taxes for the box of wine that we had along uh, with yes. us. Where this time we uh, crossed over um, just north of Great Falls, Montana. Uh, the crossing was quick and easy. We'd read horror stories about people having all their fruits and vegetables taken away. It was a piece of cake. So we strongly recommend yes. crossing north of Great Falls. Not only for fuel prices. And, of course, we're shocked at the fuel prices and the lack of predictability. It seems that uh, out here in Montana and North Dakota, the fuel prices would be cheaper, but they were actually somewhat more expensive than back home. And, of course, earlier in the year, I think we even talked about this on the podcast, we were expecting the prices overall to be very high, and we've seen fuel prices come down. So go camping. Who cares about the prices? They're unpredictable, so you just got to kind of figure You can only plan for the things that you can plan for. (laughs) Now, we have um, already been moaning and groaning about our Internet and satellite TV problems, but we do feel, I think, pretty happy that we have decent cell phone service while we're driving through Canada. But only because of pre-planning. This time, right. 
And you talk about that. You did the research. I did the research. We have Verizon. We switched from AT&T from, from, uh, from AT&T a while ago to Verizon, uh, primarily because their coverage across places like South Dakota and um, Montana and places was much more reliable. And have you found that to be true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our last time we, we we had phone calls dropped and there was places. and we'd drive for hours with no signal at all. It was kind of scary, almost. <laughs> almost like 1989. I know. What if something <laughs> happens? Oh, are we spoiled or what? Yep, we are. So we have been talking with uh, Verizon about uh, what to do about that, and of course, the moment you step into Canada. The price of your U.S. cell phone use goes up dramatically, and boy, did we find that out. Uh, I think we mentioned that when we were in Maine, and we had the data service off, but boy, did they charge us big time. So this time we were very cautious about that, and we signed up for the all North America plan or something from Verizon. So for an extra $30 a month, we get 700 minutes that can be used inside the United States or outside, and it's a plan that we can turn on and turn off, and... At least the, our phones work fine. <laughs> Hopefully the bill will be equally fine. So if we can figure out what the next current campground is some other way than on the Internet, we can call them and see if they have room for Well, at us. least we can call them. And because we're traveling with uh, another RV, it's important that we be able to talk back and forth Between. occasionally. Well, anyway, we just wanted to have the, the cell phone service. And if you want it, you can add it for about $30 for the two lines for on a monthly basis, which I, I guess is pretty reasonable. I don't know exactly why they charge extra, but they and, do. And we we understand that there'll be uh, remote parts of Canada and the Yukon and remote parts of Alaska where there will be no cell phone service yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, we understand that. Um, but you can't do anything about that. But, dear listener, do not plan on getting data. Very expensive. Because data will kill you in terms of the price. And there are no real data plans transferable like the voice plan from the United States. So you're pretty much without data when you come to... And we don't, we didn't understand how much we use the phones for data until you don't have it. I use it more for data than I do for talking. Uh, yeah, so that has caused a problem. So uh, when I bought my iPad uh, a couple of months ago, I specifically bought the cell phone version because now the iPad is uh, universal and does CDMA as well as GSM. And I was going to activate it here in Canada so that we would have data service over the cell phone because they have very reasonably priced plans for the iPad, which is very strange to me. Five gigabytes for $35, which is very reasonable by anybody's standards, uh, even by standards at home. So I thought, well, when we travel, I'll just get the data plan, and they are flexible, pay-as-you-go, monthly, month-by-month service, just like they are in the United States. But I think in the U.S., it costs $30 for 2 gig or something on that order. So this seemed like a really good deal. But... Alas, dear listener, the story does not end there. At this moment, the story has no ending. It's so this unresolved. is a story that will be continued. After going to Best Buy and buying a Rogers, which is the biggest phone carrier here in Canada, Rogers SIM card for my iPad, and pretty much being denied service after trying to activate it, so I wasted that $10. And then I went to, this afternoon, I went to TELUS, which is another large carrier here in Canada, and I don't know what the status of that's going to be. 
Rogers essentially said, well, if you didn't buy the iPad from us, then we're not going to give you a good deal on data plan. But they don't sell iPads. Yeah, well, no, Rogers sells iPads. Oh. The place that I bought the card from doesn't sell iPads. I see. And so they don't sell them all over. And I couldn't, I don't know. Bureaucracy <laughs> rules. So my recommendation is don't plan to use Rogers because they seem to be mired in total bureaucracy. And I've called them. I've talked to their – I've been on their website and because I, I bought the SIM card and I was told that I could activate it online. Boy, this is turning out to be an R. A rant and rave. And you'd read good things about it. I read, I read about people who've done this. That's the thing. And then and they have a brochure which talks about it, but they don't – at but the place that, I was, place that I was at, they had a Rogers – it was a Rogers store. They had the brochure about the uh, no-fee activation and $37 a month for 5 gigs, and all you have to do is sign up and blah, 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 blah. The place doesn't sell iPads, and I brought my iPad in and only to find out that, well, after quite a lot of machinations, the store had never done one of these. Never tried to do this. I think that so might they, be the real problem here. Yeah, well, but I've called them on the phone. And been I've passed from operator to operator. Four operators later. So I can't recommend Rogers. And we're going to see how TELUS works a little bit later on. So if any of so you, dear tuned. listeners, are from oh, Canada please, and have please, some good please. advice for us, I, I was going to say send us, Give an us e- a hint. send us an email, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to read the email. <laughs> Oh dear! As she as she walks around the campground with her iPad held high in the air, trying to get the signal. Get the signal. <laughs> oh boy! So I'm going to continue with my R and R. Okay. You, can you stand it? Sure. Because I agree with you. Yeah. A while ago, we bought a Duran tire pressure sensor system, which I've been very happy with overall. Well, it seems like a good idea. We've read horror stories Great about idea. people who have bl- blowouts on the road, both in their um, RV and the toad. Exactly. And they've caught on fire, and they've destroyed the wheel well, and they've All sorts of over things. Tire pressure sensors are an essential it's component. It's very dangerous, and you don't know it's coming, and I spent, in a long vehicle. And I spent big bucks, over $500, on the Duran tire pressure and its sensors and things because it's got these little screw-on sensors that screw, for each tire for each tire 10 of them uh, for and the, then you had to get a booster because and, it wouldn't read the, the right, sensors right. from the and tone. it did save our butts once on, on our new car here because we had the drake brakes dragging and that increased the tire pressure in the car and the sensor went off and said hey your tire pressure is too high so we we stopped and the tires are very hot because the dra- brakes are dragging so it does definitely do a good job but, however but. however stay tuned here here comes the R&R the rant and the rave However, the sensors don't last very long, and this has been the real issue. Um, I bought the system in 2009, which is less than three years ago, and I have so far replaced four sensors. There's no way to replace the battery in the sensors. We're not on the road full-time. We only drive it. Yeah, so you'd think the sensors would be basically have turned themselves off. They cost $29 to replace each sensor. And essentially to replace the battery, because that's all you're doing. I've had to replace four of them in two years. And, ladies and gentlemen, are you listening to this carefully? And, ladies and gentlemen. They keep beeping. They keep, it keeps cutting out because the the temperature is cold. So anytime it gets below 60 degrees, I have 
seven of the of the ten sensors not registering. We're sorry. There's snow around here in Banff. What can we do? Oh, what a ridiculous situation. A tire monitoring system that doesn't work when it's below 60. And, of course, I have called them. I have replaced sensors. And I've said this is a ridiculous situation where every three years I have to spend $300, Thinking 10 times that. 30, in order to replace the sensors. And they were like, well, <laughs> send them back and we will uh, examine them because they're de- they might be defective. Well, I don't think that six de- six sensors that I bought are all defective. And now I find that one of the ones that they just sent me is no longer working either. So that really irritates me. So my bottom line is is that uh, I'm going to let these all wear out and then I'm going to buy a different system. I guess I don't know. I'm very disappointed in Duran. So if any of and, you and have, their and their response to me. If any of you have any recommendations on tire sensor. <laughs> Pressure readers that work well for you reliably, we'd like to know. Yeah, and there are some new ones out that are much less expensive. As I said, this system cost me over $500, and it should work for a decent amount of time and reliably. (sighs) Feel better now? I feel exhausted. Let's talk about something that you bought that seems to be working well. Okay. Your small power washer. Well, I like to keep my rig nice and clean. He's a fanatic. (laughs) And a power washer is really a wonderful tool to have, but they are so big. Well, a lot of campgrounds won't let you wash your rig anyway, and so I've always been never had a power washer that I felt I could take with me. But here I am searching around on Amazon, and I find the AR Blue Clean 118, which is a small, I mean really small. It's two shoeboxes worth of components, and of course it's got the, the plug that goes in the wall, and you need to have... Uh, some water to go with it, but boy, it, it is very powerful and it fits very nicely in our bay and has a nice wand to go with it. And it's just a really cool little device. And I noticed also that uh, Camping World has started to sell it. So, and they sell it for a little bit more than Amazon, as always. But I think we talked about one of these uh, another time that was uh, permanently installed in your RV and oh, it that was very expensive $1500 yeah, and yeah. I was <laughs> I like the clean coach but not for $1500 but it had the hose that kind of just unwound and that sort of stuff and, but convenient. this one has, this one is a totally portable unit it weighs probably 10 pounds it only cost 100 or less than 100 bucks and from what I've seen, after coming across the plains with our windshield full of bugs... Oh, does it do a job on the bugs? And, and it's so hard for you to reach the top. Yes. It's really convenient It just use. does. Oh, it just blasts away the bugs. That's <laughs> something else I should talk about. So I can highly recommend this little product. Um, and at the same time, you might consider getting Amazon Prime. For people on the road, the Amazon Prime is a really very cool thing. And, you know, for $79 a year, Amazon will... Take And who doesn't use Amazon, especially people like us who are on the road, because in two days you can have almost anything. Even in Alaska? Two-day shipping. Wow. Comes, comes FedEx. And so if you have Amazon Prime, you get the two-day shipping free. You not only get that, but you get uh, movie streaming and a few other things. Amazon is really going a long way to making the RVers' life almost like shopping. I'm totally amazed at how much stuff Amazon has. Almost anything you want, Amazon has, even little things. You certainly look there as well as any place else. And the prices are almost always good. I mean, little, little plugs and jacks, and you know, you can order something for $3, and it comes in the mail, which is very cool. 
So you might want to take a look at Amazon Prime as a tool for getting things when you're like your power washer because you can have it two, in two days. You can have your power washer in your hands even if you're in Alaska. For those with no patience. For those on the move, this is a very nice and nice thing to have. We also bought from Amazon the Wilson Wireless Dual Band Signal Booster. Talk to somebody else who had this, and in preparation for being in Alaska, your cell phone kind of poops out sometimes. And cell phone boosters for your RV have been uh, kind of expensive in the four and five hundred dollar range, and. Wilson has now come, and Wilson is a top name in cell phone accessories. They have come out with a brand new product called the Wilson Wireless Dual Band Signal Booster. And the very nice thing about it is is that there's no wires that you have to hook up to your units. I like that. Yes, indeed. So what happens is, is that you have this box, and you plug it into the 12 volts, and then there's an antenna that goes on the outside, and of course it comes with that, and it's a magnetic mount. I put a washer, <laughs> a big 50-cent piece washer outside. I glued it onto the roof so that we could put the mount up there because we have no we have no metal. Anyway, so we I put the antenna up on the roof, and then there is a second uh, antenna that goes on the inside, and then this box. And so it takes care of all the details. You just turn on your cell phone, and you now have five bars instead of one. Good. Yeah. Works with any system, works with data, works with anything, and it'll support multiple phones simultaneously or data connection and a cell phone. We really haven't put this to the test. No, we haven't. So that's going to come up on another review here. Hopefully we won't rant and rave next month. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they can take another (laughs) R&R. He's going over the deep end, ladies and gentlemen. It sounds good. Sounds good, yes. Oh, and the other thing I did about the power washer, I forgot to mention this. But I hooked it up to the water system in the RV. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we can pull into a rest area someplace, and I can wash it on the fly without having to violate the campground rules. Give the wife the towels and say, okay, let's wash. How much fun can I have? So we don't even have to be hooked up to water. Is that cool? We just have to get water. So there's going to be a couple pictures on our website about the connection because I I unhooked our, our external shower. Oh, that's where you put it. Yeah, yeah, we and don't it use that. It works great off much. that. I was really surprised. So you just turn on the valve there. Can we put the shower back on if we want to? Of course. Uh-huh. I didn't ruin the shower. Mm-hmm. Good. And you can wash it with hot water. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> or you could take your dog out there and wash him. <laughs> You can do that with a shower. You're not going to pressure wash a dog. What that's are a- you, Mitt Romney? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mitt Romney. Sorry. I don't even know that name. Several of you have sent us nice emails about suggestions for doing things in Alaska, and we're going to incorporate all of those, we hope. The next couple months are going to be kind of uh, unusual for us. Uh, Not a lot of... um, other data besides our impressions about Alaska. And as a matter of fact, it looks like we're going to have a mid-month podcast. I don't think so. Featuring... I'm going to be too busy having fun. No, no. But you want to share your fun. I'll share it at the end of the month. (laughs) (laughs) Like now. We're going to have a roundtable discussion with our traveling companions. Oh, that's next time? That's next time, mid-month, so stay tuned. Uh, Hopefully they're more enthused than I am. (laughs) More enthused. (laughs) Well, we have had some kind of bad weather. We did even have snow. Yeah. 
It's yeah. it's hard to believe. Hard We're talking to you on Memorial Day. We yeah. can see from what meager weather we get that it's been over 90 degrees in many parts of the country. And as I alluded, we've driven through some sleet and there's a lot of melting snow around here, although Ooh. not in the campground. And we've had uh, the nights have been in the 30s. And, yeah, so the furnace to, has been running. Yeah, so we're using up, burning up the propane. So you rearranged all the bays. Well, you know, when you have a, um, an RV, especially a big one like we do, um, it's very easy just to keep stuffing stuff in there because you can always push it to the back, push it to the middle, and you kind of lose track of what you have. And we wanted to make sure that we were bringing what we needed on this trip, but not a lot of extra. And so this gave us the motivation to do a little house cleaning. And we pulled everything out of the basement of the rig and evaluated what we really still was, were drama. using, what we still needed. We weren't going to bring our beach chairs on this particular trip oh, really? and um, amazingly we ended up with a whole lot of extra room uh, what I think we have been doing over the years is every time we'd switch rigs we'd just take everything from the old rig and put it in the new rig <laughs> and never look at it again and there was a lot of stuff that we really didn't need so anyway so this was a very good excuse so we ended up with some empty what large Tupperware containers some of them even have wheels on the bottom I think we bought them at Target and uh, they had all sorts of crap in it that we had disposed of and this gave me an opportunity to lay in a supply of food. Now, I remember when we went to Alaska last time in the late 90s that I... No, no, late 80s. Late 80s. That I packed as if we were going to the moon. I remember laying in a huge supply of canned chicken, which we <laughs> continued to uh. eat for the next five to six years. It took a while to work through all that because we really don't like canned chicken. <laughs> but I didn't know. I, I truly understand that on this trip, we can we will never starve to death. Lord knows we could afford to lose a few pounds. Um, but it, it made sense to me to bring things that were it didn't need to be refrigerated be um, because they are certainly cheaper to buy at home than they are up here in this remote part of the world. So we have all sorts of paper products and spaghetti and rice and boring stuff like that. So we'll probably be eating spaghetti and rice <laughs> when we get home for the next five years. But it's with us, and it gives me peace of mind. Okay. If you decide to come to Banff, there are a few interesting things uh, that are unique to this area. The Banff area has no private campgrounds, only the National Park, and they have 2,500 campsites. They have everything from full hookups all the way down to remote, rustic tent campsites. And we were kind of surprised on this Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> yeah. um, we knew that Canadians don't celebrate Memorial Day, but not. still, it's almost the summer. Uh, we very carefully made reservations to make sure we could get in here, and we're pretty much... I think they just opened the campus ground just for us. <laughs> pretty much by ourselves. Um, but it's still... And it has been like that all weekend. And and they do have a very nice reservation system. You can do it online or Yeah, on the phone. and one of the choices that we had when we were at home is you can have a... <laughs> a fire ring. Fire ring. You, and you fire. pay You pay extra for a campsite with a fire ring. Now, who ever heard of that before? Uh, well, it $8. Comes, and it comes with free firewood. So, for the four nights that we're going to be here, $32 extra <laughs> for... For firewood. So, being the so be careful that, when you reserve. Being the cheapos that we are, we reserved a site without a fire ring and well. are using our friend's fire ring and campground. <laughs> no fools we. Let somebody else pay the eight bucks. Okay. So we have a nice email here, uh, which has nothing to do with Alaska, but does in some ways, uh, from Richard. And he says to us, 
K&M. Could you please, could you explain sometime with, with the massive amount of photos that you take, how do you keep them organized? It's a chore. It's a chore. And I think we're becoming kind of drudges. Yes, we are. Our friends come over and they say, Would you like we, to do something? And we say, no, we're organizing <laughs> our pictures. Because <laughs> every day we go out and take a hundred more and then we have to organize them. Because tomorrow there'll be another hundred more. Three hundred. Well, that's you. I only take a hundred. Oh, my. Oh, is that all you do? It's just a hundred. Mm-hmm. We have had uh, two or three days of just fabulous beauty, in terms of clear blue skies with some puffy. And the snow in the mountains. Oh, yeah. and glaciers. Oh, there's lots of snow in the mountains and glaciers and all sorts of stuff. So we've taken a lot of pictures. Are and I think we have got a pretty good system now. You know, you need to buy or you need to get one of the photo organizing programs. If you're a Mac person, you need either iPhoto or Aperture. If you're a Windows person, you need either Picasa or Lightroom. Preferably the latter of both of those. I would definitely recommend Lightroom and Aperture. Uh, my, my Aperture library has over 100,000 pictures in it currently, and they're all organized in terms of w- w- being able to find them. They do just a, a fabulous job and have many features which you maybe say, I don't need that, but in a year or two, you may need them. And they let you do basic editing. I used to do, do a lot of Photoshop, but now I let Aperture do almost all my editing because they, they have fabulous tools built right in, and Lightroom is is right there with Aperture. Lightroom comes for both Mac and Windows, whereas Aperture is a Mac only. They do both require a fairly heavy-duty computer, but it's worth it um, whether you bring them home and do them or whether you do them on the road as we do. So these programs allow you to keyword. They allow you to GPS. They allow you to facially recognize your pictures. They allow you to organize your pictures in a broad range, plus the fact that they offer something which is fairly new in the in the world of photo editing, and that is non-destructive editing. If you use Photoshop or Photoshop Elements, when you hit the Save button, it overwrites the original file, and whatever changes you've made are now in the file, and you can't get it back to its original form. So we now have non destructive editing, which means that it never, ever changes your original. Your original is always there for you to revert back to, should you make a mistake. And that instead, if you make a version or make changes in it, it keeps track of those in a separate database and just applies those on the fly, those changes. Even things like cropping and color balance and all those things are all built in so that you can have multiple versions and see which one you like the best or if you want to put words over one of them. There are all sorts of things that you can do and you still have the original there in case you want it. Plus the fact that uh, as I shoot RAW and JPEGs these days, uh, I only view the JPEGs because the RAWs I use for printing. And so these seamlessly hide all the all the RAWs so that they're there in the background and you can always get at them because they're matched up and paired with their JPEG master. But I don't have to be managing them and looking at them separately because they're all right there. But I can edit them anytime I want to. And, of course, they both allow great plugins. And one of the things that we've been having a lot of fun lately, or at least I have, is with panoramas. 
So you can be, make panoramas directly from the program, and you can do uh, HDR, high dynamic range pictures, which we've been having also a lot of fun with. So these days I shoot a lot of pictures because for many of the frames that I shoot, I actually shoot three pictures, one normally exposed, it's called bracketing, two stops under, two stops over, and then the software combines the two. I'll try to put one of these up on our website. Around here, so this is especially it. helpful when you're taking pictures of glaciers, which yes. are very bright in the sunshine and the dark pine trees that are um, around them because it's hard to expose for both. Yes. And, and with HDR, you can get everything perfectly exposed. So the software that I'm using then, uh, Aperture, I now have over a terabyte worth of pictures, whew, which is a lot, so I carry a terabyte drive with me. Uh, actually, it's going to be, well, probably a terabyte and a half by the time we get home. And it's backed up automatically, which is also a very nice feature. They automatically will save out the originals to a different file if you'd like them to do that. It automatically names all your pictures uh, so that you can have some sort of organization scheme in terms of the file names instead of having just image 321. This is a, a great piece of software and many others do similar things, but they're just not as sophisticated. So Picasa, iPhoto, Lightroom and Aperture. One of those four you need to be using. And for iPhoto you- and uh, Picasa are for our lower end, but still f- very nicely featured. Lightroom and Aperture are higher end and have every feature imaginable, but uh, they do cost a little bit. Wouldn't you say, though, when you're starting out with one of these programs that you need to really think it through and have a plan for mm. how you're going to... <sighs> Organize your pictures. Well, I or name them. Well, you can do that at any time. Them. That's what's one of the nice things about this, is, is that as you import them, it kind of starts to organize them for you, mm. and you can take them and reorganize them at any point to the scheme that you want to. I feel like there's been some inconsistencies between what you do and what I do, and then that makes retrieval later uh-huh. problematic. And well, we'll have to talk about that. But I overall, I don't think that's the fault of the program. No. It, well, you do. Yeah, it helps to have some sort of scheme up front. A master plan. Right, but that kind of comes from. Well, maybe we should have a master class for all of our listeners, <laughs> for the two people who are really interested in this. <laughs> for um, Richard, who yeah, sent Richard. us the question. Yes. So, Richard, thank you for the question. And I could go on to, uh, quite a lot longer about yes, this. Yes, he could. Yes, he could, but he probably will not because his wife would yell at him. Because even though he's the he's the navigator, he doesn't always get to make the rules. So a little piece of news that I found out. This is cool. You still? I mean, did you get this at home? Oh, no. And as a matter of fact, I got this yesterday. The Chinese are finally going to have some campgrounds to go with their RVs that we talked about a few months ago. Some four to five hundred rec- recreational vehicle campgrounds will be built in the Shang in Shanghai and the other 20-plus cities on on the Yangtze River Delta region by the end of 2020. So they're really trying to get their RV industry going. That'd be cool. Well, a lot of them have a lot more money than they've ever had before, and with money comes the desire to recreate. I guess so. And they're going to be all over the Yangtze Valley area. So 10 years from now, we can do a camping trip in China. Yeah, and we've seen so many rental RVs here. We certainly have. Um, It's been a surprise. A lot of Europeans, um, when we went to... the ski lift in Banff, uh, we wandered around on top of the mountain, and we felt like we were the only people there who spoke <laughs> English. Indeed. Because there's so many people here from all over the world, and it looks like at least half of them have rented uh, little rigs and are camping right along with us. It's a good way to go. Yes, and just like we did in Europe, all 
although the, even the smallest ones here are usually bigger than the ones that we had in Europe. And that kind of uh, dovetails into uh, an article that we picked up. Um, Can you motor home full-time without a toad? Because these people, of course, are driving around here without a toad. And frankly, most of the area here is designed for... They always have RV parking. Yeah, big parking and, spaces. And the turnouts and the and the viewing areas are, are spacious. Are spacious because they have lots of land. I would say. And you kind of get the impression if you're at the campground in the middle of the day that nobody is here, but that's because all these people with the small rigs are out touring around, sightseeing, and then they come back in the evening. So for this area, um, I think not having a toad would not be a major problem, especially if you had a rig a lot smaller than the one we have. Oh yeah, or not for this But one. I cannot fathom uh, living without a toad. Well, the article starts off, many full-time RVers hit the road with a travel trailer or a fifth wheel. At day's end, they unhitch and drive around town with a vehicle that's ready for use. But for full-timers who live in a motorhome, the decision has to be faced. Do we have a toad toad car to get around, or can we do without one? Certainly, it's cheaper to only have one vehicle rather than two. Fuel and a lot easier to miss. Yeah, you don't have to hitch it up. And right. But to me, um, you can't do what you want to do because you want to go to the grocery store, well, you want to go to the movies, you want to go sightseeing. You need a smaller vehicle to do that. they recommend that you rent a car. Well, that's what the previous owner of our motorhome yes. did. Yeah, um, especially if money is not a worry for you. Well, well, I would say... he wasn't a full-timer. I mean, I could yeah, see yeah, yeah, but he I, traveled in for... Rental costs are not that high and i think if you rented it by the week or by the month that when you go someplace you rent a car and that would be less than owning a forty thousand dollar car don't you think of towing it around then i'll buy a twenty thousand dollar car i really like having a little car that's easier to park and and go places the approach that we use uh this article calls um spoken wheel where you go to an area drop the motorhome and then you drive the spokes uh-huh. with your toad which to me is the best way to do it yes instead of driving your motor home to each of the destinations, destinations which into is the grocery choice. store i mean what a pain that would be well unless it was a small rv yeah okay so that's my opinion we've get, we've weighed in on that important issue and then you found an article about, is this new, the RV iBrake system? Yes, apparently. Easy to use and super portable. We have a brake. No, we don't. No, we don't. It's a Blue Ox product. <laughs> it's a Blue Ox product, the brake system. for. We had a brake buddy, yeah, and we broke. broke it. And now we got this one from Blue Ox, which is similar. And what this does, of course, is that it applies your toad's brakes. Oh, another thing you have to buy, of course, with your toad, is you ha- it applies your toad's brakes when the motorhome slows down. And you have to attach the buddy to the brake pedal, and then you have to attach it to the car's power system. It's a mechanical process, right. It has a little actuator that presses the pedal down when it senses that you're slowing down. And that all has to be hooked up each time you tow, and it has to be activated totally independently of the car. And I'm not a real fan of ours for a number of reasons. It came with feet where you were supposed to (laughs) screw out the three feet to have it sit at the height appropriate for your car's brake, which makes sense, but it said something about that they're very fragile and that you should put the feet in every time you take the brake body out, which was very inconvenient. Take it out of your car. So we immediately broke the feet because we didn't bother to do that. Now it's sitting on a board, so I have to put the board <laughs> in before I put the braking well, and, system and even in. more importantly, you find it hard to do by yourself. And I find the clamp that goes on the brakes very 
very difficult Break to pedal. get on the pedal, and after a while, I ended up ripping off the rubber coating that goes on the brake pedal. And usually, there's some swearing going on when, well, and when the I'm light doing this part thing, of my and, job. And calibrating it each time you put it in. And when you calibrate it, you have to put the key in the ignition and listen to the ding, 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 ding <laughs> because you have to make sure that the brakes are off when they're supposed to be off and on when they're supposed to be on. As Ken referred to um, earlier in our discussion here, there was a time when we broke, we drove when the brakes were still on and the tires got hot. That's because I didn't have this set right. I sense a little R and R here. Oh, and, and and when you're calibrating, I can't see our brake lights from where I am looking at this machine, so I have to be walking back and forth and back and forth. So it ends up being a two-person operation, which is very inconvenient. So, so I we... think I want to buy an RVI brake. This looks lots easier. Product overview. The RVI brake is a proportional auxiliary braking Good. system for your Good. towed vehicle that can be used with vacuum or active brake types. Its unique one-touch auto positioning technology gone Ooh, are the, are the days touch. of an improperly installed portable brake system. Ah. To install the RVI brake, done by the navigator. Attach the spring-loaded device onto the brake pedal. I hope it's easier than ours. Plug the power cord into the towed vehicle's 12-volt receptacle and press the auto start button on the control panel and the adjustable activator will push on the pedal five times allowing the housing to move back a little at a time until the housing is up against the seat pan of the towed vehicle. This one-of-a-kind technology (laughs) ensures that the RVI brake is properly installed every time. I hope it's true. Well, we don't know anything about this system, but um, if you are thinking about buying a braking system for your toad this might be one to look at i will put the link of course into the show notes if I we can get on the internet <laughs> get on the internet make the web page so i would say at this point as the um person who's doing the brake buddy installation every time we hitch up that i cannot really recommend any product that we've used so far <laughs> So we're going to end up today's podcast with a little note here from about the most expensive RV made, $3 million. Oh, my. It looks like a spaceship. Uh-huh. It's called The Wanderman by Marshy Mobile, and we will put this link up on the webpage. It looks nothing like anything we have ever seen before, but it is an RV. So and, you heard it here at the RV Navigator first. And if any of you buy one, please let us know. <laughs> yes, please give us a, a shout. And, and, we bring, and, and I'd like to have a ride in it, too. Some pictures. I don't, I'm not sure it gives any ride. But it, it, you know, it has those cool lights that light up. Oh, those eyelid-looking lights? Well, uh, glow in the dark. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, you'd like this thing. Yes. It's but lots you of... need to rob a bank. <laughs> okay. So, from the wilds, well, let's see, we've driven 2,000 miles, and we are not yet halfway. To Alaska. To Alaska. Can you believe it? Well, can you believe that? Yeah. So, next month, we will be in Fairbanks, and we will be at the Solstice Festival, enjoying the midnight sun. The longest day of the year. Where we hope it will not get dark. Although, it's very noticeably bright here for much of the evening. Yeah, where we are now, it generally start. You start thinking about um, the end of the day at nine thirty. Yes, the end of That's the day. That's nice. Without further ado, we will wish you adieu and hope that you send us an email. We always like to hear from you at navigator at rvnavigator dot com and look at the show notes on the web page. Uh, hopefully, they will be there in the not too distant future. And if you're in Alaska, stop by. Stop by. <laughs> 
you might be camped in a campground near us. And if so, please knock on the door of the RV Navigator's motorhome and say hello. But we are going to ex- exempt Ellen and Jeff. They don't have to do that. No. <laughs> but you'll hear from them on the next episode, which should be mid-month sometime. So thanks a lot for listening. Uh, have safe travels on the road and wish us safe travels on the road. And we'll talk to you in two weeks or a month, depending on oh, which one of us wins. <laughs> oh, geez. We're going to have a battle over this, too, huh? Okay. Talk to you later.